Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your round three recap, round four preview for this week's Farmers Insurance Open. And joining me to break it all down from the scene, it is Mark Immelman. Hello, Mark. Hello, Rick. Uh, Did anything happen this afternoon? I was just out there calling a bit of golf. I mean, it was just a typical day. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Oh, uh, yes, actually, we did. We had a uh, a, a golfer <laughs> trending on Twitter uh, this afternoon, Mark, and you were actually up close and personal. So obviously what I'm referring to here is Patrick Reed, who is currently a co-leader after 54 holes with Carlos Ortiz in this event. But the thing that has overshadowed the day is what happened on the 10th hole. And Mark, I'll describe this. Uh, from what we saw, and then I love it if you could describe from what you saw. Uh, what we saw is Patrick Reed uh, hit a approach shot from a fairway bunker to a horrible lie left of 10 green. We watched it bounce. We saw him get embedded ball relief, and we saw him get up and down and make par. Uh, we'll obviously talk about the details of that, but you were following this group all day long. What was your view of it? Well, first off, um, did you see it bounce on? Because we had the shot live. Did you see the shot bounce, or did you see it in the clip afterwards? Because we saw the clip when we were down eleven, uh, where they went went back from a different camera angle and saw the the ball bounce. I'll tell you what I saw. I was down the fairway. I set the shot up. Um, playing back on that angle, it was sort of into the sun, and there was some glare because there was still a lot of moisture on the golf course from um, what was a very very wet and nasty day on Friday. And so the ball came out left, I'm walking ahead, and I get up and I knew it was left of the cart path. And, and so I get there and I can't see anything. And so I look over at the uh, marshal and I'm like, did you see it? And I can't remember it was a he or a she. And again, I'm just describing what I saw. And so they pointed it out and I had to walk up and actually bend over and look almost vertically to see the golf ball. It was some long grass that moisture on it you could see droplets of water everywhere and i only saw just a portion of the top of the golf ball so i didn't at that stage think it was plugged i i just i saw the lie i was moved on behind the green and was preparing for the next call and i was looking at this going i was thinking more about the severity of the shot downhill lie heavy lie over a bunker to a green pitching away from you i was like well i mean on a scale of one to ten this thing is off the charts this is an 11. And so I walk a little farther away, so I'm not going to be in earshot of the players. And I turn around and I see Patrick moving the ball. And I remember thinking, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, that was the first thing that went across my mind. And I saw him put the ball down very gingerly, um, where he just set it down on the ground. And so I was like, okay. And then I saw him lift the hand and look over to Brad Fable, who was down on the 14th hole. And they waved. I heard rules official. So Brad came over. Patrick said, uh, we heard the ball didn't bounce. Um, and again, from where we were, I couldn't see the thing bounce. There was a bunch of glare. 
And so, you know, they was sort of handling the lie a little bit and Brad Fable put his finger down there and he's like, yeah, I can feel the lip of the ground being broken. And so the relief was taken and on, on we go. Uh, then 11, all of a sudden we see this footage during a commercial break. And I'm like, oh my goodness, here we go. And um, then the whole lot started. Now, as far as Patrick handled the thing, you know, he was within his rights to question if the ball was plugged. But my only question was, why don't you just leave the ball where it is and wait for the rules official to get there and handle it himself? Now, the player is entitled to check if a ball is plugged. If you put a tee down, you can lift the ball out of its mark, and if it's broken the ground, then you can then you then it's a plug lie and you get relief. But there was so much grass around the place, you couldn't see that. And so he moved it out there, and then with all the grass around, that's when it's like, dang, I don't think I can get it back into this hole, if indeed it was plugged. I don't know. Again, I couldn't see through all of the grass. So, I, I mean, if hindsight was twenty twenty, I would have just waited for the rules official. But, again, the players are allowed to mark and check. That is accepted. So he was within his rights, but I don't know. <laughs> when you're operating with the – with the checkered past, I guess, like he is, I'd be a little bit more circumspect in a situation like that. That is one of the the two follow-ups that I wanted to ask you. But first, we do have the clip from Patrick Reed's post-round interview with Amanda Balionis, where he described what he thought uh, was a perfect process. So the first thing we do is when, when we don't see it bounce and the group doesn't see it bounce, you ask the volunteer, whoever's closest to that golf ball where it was. And... You know, the volunteer said, no, the ball did not bounce. And therefore, I, when that happened, I looked at my group, says, guys, she didn't see it bounce either. So I'm going to mark this ball and, uh, you know, see if it's embedded. And, you know, once I marked it, the first thing I wanted to do was make sure I got the ball out of my hand because, you know, you don't want to clean it or anything because you don't know if it's embedded yet. And when I put my finger down there and I felt like it has broken ground, first thing you do is you call rules official because, you know, you want the rules official to come over to make sure that it is. And, when the rules official came over, said it, yes, no, this this ball has broken the plane, and with no one seeing the ball bounce, Ian, that's that's what we all saw. And so because of that, you know, the rules official was like, well, since no one else has seen it bounce, and it's seven people, therefore you get free drop and free relief. And at that point, you know, we just go with what the rules official said, and also with what the volunteers and what we see, because you know, it's one of those things that when we're out there, we can't see everything. And when that happens, you know, you have to go by with what the volunteers say, with what the rules officials say. And, you know, when when all comes push and shove, we, we felt like we did the right thing. And the rules officials said we did it absolutely perfectly. And with that being said, uh, you know, we moved on, just continued playing. Mark, you do this on a uh, essentially a weekly basis. You are out there walking around with these guys. You are seeing the interactions that they have. From what we see on television, almost any time that a player gets themselves into a rules a scenario, they seem almost skittish about doing anything. Hey, can I can I pick this up now? Is that okay? Should I mark it first? Then I do this uh, for for the guy who has the most checkered history to just walk up there, snatch that thing, move it aside, no no issues. I, like it was jarring. It was, and that was the question that I had, as I had referenced. Um, you know, I think back in a couple of years ago at the Memorial, I think it was a Friday afternoon round in the 17th, I had a situation like that with Matt Kucher. There was a bunch of rain. They got Bermuda, uh, Bentgrass fairways over there. And he had the tee shot, and I saw the ball bounce up, and then I saw it hit the ground and spin. And it looked weird. I remember going, that looks strange. And I was, was watching the ball from like 30, 40 yards away. I'd, I'd four-catted, essentially. 
And so we get there. I walk past it and I see the ball like halfway into the fairway. And he comes walking up and he looked at me. He goes, did you see what happened? And I'm like, yeah, I saw it bounce. And then he called over a couple of rules officials and it turned into a three rules official deal. And eventually Stephen Cox was like, no, 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 Matt, this, uh, we, we saw this happen. And I remember me in that situation sort of eventually wanting to slink in the shadows going, dang, I wish he hadn't have asked me. Mm-hmm. But but that's where it's beholden, and that's where Patrick had said, well, you know, you rely on people around you. And so you have to. Uh, and it's it's tough for everybody because like the football, the bang-bang play in football, I guess it is. You know, the poor rules official had called that New Orleans non-catch a few seasons ago. He's still getting ripped by folks. But stuff happens fast. And you think you see something, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my goodness, maybe it wasn't that way. And then you start second-guessing. And so that's where this becomes difficult. And, and that's where I thought Ken Tackett, who on our show did a marvelous job, they, they, they have a, um, a rule where it's basically you go with, you know, plausible cert- – I can't remember the words, but it's certainty as far as possible in the situation. And so you rely on all the information you can get. Anyway, that's long-winded to say, again, if you Patrick Reed, I mean, I, they all know the rules well. They really do. But you'll see, guys, to your point where when there are fans around and there are stands around, they hit the thing behind a stand. It's the the, the free relief from a temporary immovable obstruction is the most basic rule in the PGA Tour. Everyone knows how to do it, yet they'll still call the rules official over to ensure that they proceed correctly. The plug lie is also a basic one. But in a situation like this, when you're leading the tournament, uh, I think in the future, I have to expect... And if this happens again, Patrick Reed will, will uh, call the rules of, uh, call a rules official before he handles the ball next time. If he doesn't, then I just don't understand. I'm not so sure about that. He was said in hindsight he'd do it the exact same way with Amanda Balionis after the rounds. Uh, <laughs> we are bringing in reinforcements for this. And from the top ropes, I've got Kyle Porter on the line. KP, we have gotten everyone up to speed with uh, what we saw on television, with what Mark saw on the scene. We've talked about Patrick Reed's uh, view and interviews afterwards. And Mark made a very good point about a situation with Matt Kuchar a couple of years ago. I remember that one vividly, trying to get essentially – embedded ball relief on a second bounce in the fairway uh all of that to say kp have you ever seen a ball embed in the rough on its second bounce i mean we got you on the wrong mic but we're gonna get you we're gonna get you hot here in a second okay. i'm sorry hold on just a second <laughs> all right Listen, I, got, I got too many takes we are we are live <laughs> and kyle's got takes beyond belief we've got mark in a hotel room we've got kyle trying okay. to figure out the I'm, mic i'm ready all right go ready? ahead Go ahead, hit me with it. So, Patrick Reed said it after his round. He said it's almost impossible for the ball to plug after it bounces. Right? Almost impossible for the ball to plug. It it bounced. So, what was this lip or this breaking of the plane that he and the volunteer were feeling, or uh, excuse me, the rules official were feeling. Cause they both said, Oh, I felt a lip. But then he also said, it's almost impossible for the ball to plug after it bounced. And so to me, here's, here's actually what I think happened is, and you see other guys do this. This is not specific to Patrick Reed. He seems to get himself in the most controversy with this, but uh, remember back to Memorial last year when uh, Bryson tried to get ant relief? Mm-hmm. Essentially, like we made fun of that. for We still make fun of it. But essentially what he was trying to do 
is see how far he could take things with a rules official. See if see how far he could push a rules official, and then and then he could point at the rules official and say, "Well, I just did what he said, right, or or what she said." And I think that's exactly what happened with Reed. Of like, he didn't see a bounce. I believe all that. I don't think anybody saw a bounce. So he removes it and is like, "Oh, let's see what I can get away with here," right? And just tried to push a rules official who obliged. Was like, "Sure, yeah, I feel a lip there," even though that even though he literally said it can't plug if it bounces. So to me, he, he pushed the rules official to see what he could get away with. The rules official let him get away with it. And then he pointed at the rules official and the volunteer and was like, hey, that's on them. That's not on me. So it's just – it sucks because that's not that's not the way this whole thing is supposed to go. And he seems – you know, there are guys that seem to, to kind of see how much they can get away with, unlike a Rory last year at the PGA who said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually embed my ball further because I don't think that's fair based on where it originally was. So uh, it, that's kind of where I land on everything. That's a good point, but just bear in mind, when Brad Fable came over and when I was standing behind the green, we didn't know the ball had bounced. We found out the ball bounced about five or six minutes later when we were walking down the 11th fairway. That's when we figured out the ball bounced. At the time, the information we had was this thing plugged. And so, yeah, was he trying his luck? Yeah. You know, the truth of it is most most PGA Tour professionals, one of the first lessons you'll learn in golf is – what what is what is the what is knowing or not knowing the ball bounce have to do with whether there's a there's a pitch mark there? That has not like either there's a pitch mark or there's not. Well, right? we were. He was under the assumption that the ball didn't bounce. He was he was under this the assumption the ball didn't bounce. We only found that out later. And again, I'm not condoning sure, the, the but, behavior. I've said that he shouldn't have handled the golf ball. Okay. But the the truth of it is, all the PGA Tour professionals. They know you if you know the rules, you can bend the rules. And we see this week in and week out where someone knows and knows the rule enough that you can kind of make it work in your favor. So the point you make is well founded. When you call a rules official over, go, this thing's plugged, we don't know. And we are operating with as much information, not we, they are operating with as much information at the time. I remember looking at the thing going, Good gravy, why are you handling the golf ball? And then at the time I was thinking, well, you know, I looked down on this thing and it was deep under some very wet grass. I mean, I remember how wet the grass was. And i got to say this, the entire golf course, I, I walk in the rough, I don't walk in the fairway very much. My shoes are soaked because this place was so wet. So when I looked down and saw all the moisture and stuff, when I was thinking back, I'm like, okay, it's moist enough to have broken the plane. But again, I found out just like everyone else did after the event, after the event transpired. So yes, was he trying his luck? Absolutely. But nobody was whether, trying his luck. But at the time when he I, asked for the uh, the relief, he didn't know. Knowing whether or not it bounced doesn't make or erase a, uh, a a mark. Like either there's a mark or there's not. Like that's my whole thing of like, w- was it in a was it like was there a pitch mark there or was there not? Like whether it doesn't it doesn't matter whether it bounced or not. And why and why why is the most likely scenario if you're Patrick Reed of like if it didn't bounce, well it's probably plugged. Like like why is that the most likely scenario? So so that I think that right because the golf weather whether or not he saw it bounce or was told it wasn't bounced, it has to be embedded, which by his own definition, by his own description after the round, that would be nearly impossible for it to happen. So there's, there's gotta be 
something there. And I thought I thought he I thought he indicted himself whenever or I don't I'm that's not even probably the right word. I thought he convicted it. What what you guys, you guys <laughs> he convicted himself. <laughs> he convicted himself when he said it's nearly impossible for it to plug if it bounced, but also it it was plugged. Well, which you can't have both like that. Those, those two things don't go together. And yet he tried to make them go together by, by blaming the rules official. So essentially what you what you're saying, they should retroactively penalize him after the rules been made. Now they've reviewed the thing saying, okay, it bounced. There's no, there's no chance whatsoever that the ball plugged after it bounced, even though he admitted it. Who knows? They, they both reached down in there and felt some sort of a indentation or whatever in the ground. And that's all, all the ball has to do is break the plane of the turf for it to be deemed unplayable and plugged. It, it doesn't have to be under the ground. And, and so, I mean, this is all, the truth of it is it's all conjecture. Did he do the right thing? He went through the protocol as such. Did he push the boundaries? Heck, yes, he did. Should he have handled the golf ball? I nearly cussed over there. He shouldn't have. It was all just a yeah. horrid situation for a guy that really should not be trying to take – wait for a rules official before you proceed, basically. that That's that, – I think – no, I don't think he should have been penalized afterward because I, I think my whole point is like, why are you the one that keeps putting yourself in situations like this? Like, what, like why is it always you? Like, that – and I think the, the lack of realization that like, oh, it is, it is always me. Like, it's not everybody else. You know, you don't see you don't see um, I don't know, Xander Shoffley like in rules brouhaha's all the time. But the more you try to push, it just it just sucks. Like that's not the way to play golf. That's not that's not the spirit of the game, right? Like that sucks. I hate that. And I think that I think it's just I think it's crappy that Reed keeps doing that and keeps seeing like how far he can push it instead of just playing golf the way it's supposed to be played. There you go. Mm -hmm. All right. Agreed. So here's I'm, what, I'm, I'm on here's, board your train, bro. Here's what we're gonna do. Uh, I I, I kind of hope he just wins this thing tomorrow because it's gonna be a content machine. Uh, <laughs> but we've got we we've got to talk about uh, the rest of these guys real quick here. So Patrick Reed is going to go into the final round uh, tied with Carlos Ortiz. Mark, this was a uh, it was under the radar, and then it was under the radar even more because of everything that happened afterwards. But Carlos Ortiz goes out and shoots a 66 on. Saturday gained seven and a half shots on the field. He's already won once this time in Houston, trying to get that second victory here underneath his belt. Yeah, I'm going to say something that might sound a little controversial here, <laughs> if I haven't already, um, and, and say that the quality of that round he put together today is compar comparable to Victor Hovland's round in some hard conditions yesterday. And if you're just looking at it from a strokes gain metric, because even though it was bright, sunny, breezy outside, it was chilly, this golf course was playing hard, and these whole locations were mean today. I mean, that thing, it was set up like a major championship on what you would think they might soften the place for moving day. But because everything was so wet, they had the whole the, the, the advanced staff had to put whole locations on little perches and a bunch of plateaus and things. And with soft conditions, to get the ball onto those plateaus, you can't skip the thing up. And for a back hole location, you had balls sucking back to you all of the time. And for front hole locations, you don't want to risk coming up short. So you had the thing beyond the hole then. And, and so they were just tough to get to. So shooting 66 or whatever he did, that was super human in my opinion. I mean, I was out there. 
it was a hard walk for me and I had a microphone in my hand for Pete's sake. And, and we were, had these leaders who were playing under the pressure of contending for this thing on a weekend. Maybe he was freewheeling some out there in front of the field, but still to, to get around that place in 66, that was nuts. I mean, I actually went and looked at the scores after and by my count and correct me if I'm wrong, Rick, there were only five rounds under 70 today. And, and he bested the next best score by two, I believe. And mm-hmm. so that just speaks to the quality of the round that he put together. And i got to tell you, he said it afterwards. Uh, Amanda asked him, so what's the key? And he goes, I put the ball in play off the, off the tee. You drive the thing in the fairway. You putt well somehow on these greens, and you're going to have a chance. I mean, it happens week in and week out. But especially here, Tori, if you put the play off the tee, it doesn't have to be long, and then put the ball in play on the greens, and you make four, five, six footers. We said this earlier in the week. You, you, you're going to be able to skate around you unscathed largely. Uh, you are absolutely right that there were five rounds under 70 on Saturday. Carlos Ortiz, two better than any other rounds. We thank Kyle Porter for his top rope takes. If you'd like more of those spicy takes, follow him on Twitter at Kyle Porter CBS. Looking ahead to the weekend, coverage is starting 3 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. It's going to run from 3 to 6.30. You can stream it on CBS All Access, the CBS Sports app, or at cbssports.com. And Mark, there's a couple of, a couple of things here trying to figure out who's going to end up hoisting the trophy on Sunday. We've got two guys, two shots clear. That's Carlos Ortiz. It's Patrick Reed. Our buddy Justin Ray lets us know that the average 54-hole position of a winner at the Farmers Insurance Open in the last 10 years is 7.2, which means there have been some guys who can come from a few strokes back and win this golf tournament. Odds makers give Patrick Reed and John Rahm the nod. Is there anybody else that we should keep an eye on on what is a essentially a second moving day on Sunday. (laughs) Well, uh, I'm glad Justin Ray backed up what I've always believed from my experience, just being here and that Torrey Pines likes a chaser. This golf course, the later you get in the day, you get some sunshine on these greens. um, They start to bud the Poanya grass and putting just becomes hair raising on this place. And, And then if you miss a few fairways, it makes chipping and putting hard. If you're not making four, five and six footers or they're difficult, so you've got to hit the ball well, and you've then got to, got to convert on the green. So if you can get out there a little in front, post something, oftentimes you see the posted score hold up, like we saw Carlos Ortiz. When he posted 10, you know, most folks would have been like, well, someone's going to overtake the guy. I think it was 10. I, I can't remember now. I was on the course. Um, so so I, I got to believe that a chaser is still in the mix, and I've been beating the John Rahm drum the entire week. I'm going to stay there. But I've got to, got to tell you, Rory McIlroy is three back. That dude has not made a thing yet. He has not made a part of consequence yet. And I know you and Greg and your shot and strokes gain on the green odds, that little rule you have. I'm saying it's inevitable that he's going to find some, find something in there because he does the par fives well. And the underbelly of this place are the four par fives. So Rory's going to get his share over there. If he picks off one or two more with a few putts, he can post and maybe that'll be enough. I mean, we saw today with Tony Finau. He was primed, right? Played the par fives in one over. Tumbles back down the field. Because you're not going to make birdies all over the show elsewhere. So so I feel like Rory, three backs, you better pay attention still. 
Rory, three back, eight to one. Thanks to our friends over at William Hill. A little bit further down the list, Will Zalatoris would make us all happy cashing in on his first PGA Tour victory at 28 to one. And my one and done pick in that prime position, Mark, he's he's in T8. Winners come from about that range. Ryan Palmer, he's 30 to one. I'd make up a lot of ground on you, my friend. Don't talk to me about don't talk to me about one and done. I'm so livid right now with my guy missing the cut. Six under in round one, shooting 80 in round two. Now, here's the thing. I, I don't know if you I'm sure you looked through the numbers, but we were having that text exchange because I was listening to you and Kyle yesterday. And I, I said to you, I believe the scores would narrow between the north and south. I'm sure you've checked. I'm sure they did because the south was playing hard, but it wasn't playing as hard as 80 was. So I figured Cam Smith would get by. They were like 72, 3, 4, whatever, before running okay. Well, whatever. Look at Xander Shoffley played the south course yesterday, played through the hail and such, and then shoots 68 today. And all of a sudden, I think he's six or seven under, so very much in it. He's very much in it. He's four back. You're right. The the two waves ended up being a, essentially a complete identical scoring set for between between the two courses over the first two days. Uh, and Mark? I thank you for for coming on, giving us your uh, your vision, giving us what you saw out there, giving us your 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 insight is as always much appreciated, my friend. Yeah, it's good to be with you guys. I uh, I look forward to catching up uh, tomorrow evening before my flight home. I hope tomorrow evening is less controversial. Uh, look, it's just golf in the end, you know. Uh, I hear you. We will wait and see. We'll keep a close eye out tomorrow. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark underscore Immelman. You can follow me at Rick Run Good. Thanks to producer Jacob for putting all of this together. This has been The First Cut, and we'll catch you next time.